Hello and welcome to another episode of Nuclear Energy in Korea. I'm your host, Mark Wilson, and I'm honored to introduce Dr. Yoon Il Chung. Dr. Chung is Senior Technical Advisor and Argonne Distinguished Fellow at Argonne National Laboratory. He joined Argonne in 1974 and has held numerous positions of responsibility, including General Manager of the Integral Fast Reactor Program from 1984 to 1994. Thank you, Dr. Chung, for joining us today. For our audience, could you please talk a little bit about yourself, particularly how you got started with the Integral Fast Reactor Program? Okay, thank you for a kind introduction. Uh, I started the graduate uh, school uh, uh, with the nuclear engineering, and I worked in a private company, a Nuclear Assurance Corporation. Then I joined Argonne National Laboratory in 1974. Uh, in those days, uh, Argonne had a very strong program in fast reactor technology. But when President Carter announced his uh, nuclear policy in 1977, uh, which uh, stopped all the uh, commercial reprocessing and the civilian use of uh, plutonium, uh, it meant uh, a major, uh, uh, major blow in the Kunz River uh, breeder reactor demonstration project. And eventually, uh, all, all the fast reactor technology programs were facing uh, close out uh, in time. So at the time, uh, more than half of Argonne National Laboratory, including all the test facilities uh, located in Argonne West in Idaho, were associated with the fast reactor development. And that technology base was go, going to go down the drain. So unless we come out with a new direction, uh, which resolved the uh, major concerns as, at the time, uh, because of Three Mile Island accident in 1979, safety was a major concern. And also the uh, new fuel cycle technology uh, because of concern for proliferation and the economics uh, as well. So the Integral Fast Reactor Program was uh, initiated as a new direction based on two new technology innovations. Uh, one is uh, the metal fuel based fuel system and the other one is a pyroprocessing which is made possible uh, because of uh, metal fuel. And with these innovations, uh, the IFR can uh, have uh, uh, inexhaustible energy supply because we can use essentially all of the uranium resources whereas the current commercial reactors utilize less than 1% mm -hmm. of uranium resources. Secondly, uh, metal fuel allows the fast reactor system to be designed with the passive inherent safety uh, which is a major concern especially after uh, Fukushima accident. And thirdly, Metapure uh, allows uh, pyroprocessing, which is a new technology for reprocessing. Uh, this is quite different from aqueous uh, reprocessing technologies that are used around the world. Mm -hmm. and, and this is a very compact system. It does not involve uh, separation of pure plutonium. Uh, all the actinides are separated together, which means uh, from the waste management point of view, uh, the radiological toxicity level in the long term is reduced uh, drastically so that the effective uh, lifetime of waste is reduced from roughly 300,000 years to uh, near 
300 years. Right. So these are uh, major advantages of wire heart program. Mm -hmm. And I'm wondering, given the you know that the accident in Fukushima, it really revealed some of the limitations of current uh, light water reactor technology. And while the events at Fukushima were certainly tragic, how can we view what happened as an opportunity to more clearly develop a long-term vision for nuclear power going forward? Yeah, that's a good question. Uh, but let's digress a little bit. Uh, Fukushima was a uh, disaster. Uh, but if you really think about it, the tsunami that caused the Fukushima accident was the uh, really disaster. I think about 20,000 people died from the tsunami. Mm -hmm. But not a single person died because of Fukushima accident. Mm -hmm. Obviously, there was a contamination uh, by radioactivity because of Fukushima accident. However, that contamination is far less than what happened at Chernobyl reactor. Mm -hmm. So although uh, there's a latent cancer risk, but the actual exposure to population because they all have evacuated, and actually they were very conservative, uh, they evacuated a far greater area than necessary. So now after re-evaluation, they are allowing uh, people to uh, come back except for a small exclusion area. So I don't think there will be any uh, Fukushima-related uh, uh, the health effects mm -hmm. uh, to the population. Mm -hmm. So it was a disaster. It was a disaster in terms of loss of uh, investment mm -hmm. and assets, but uh, that loss is a far lesser extent than what was the damage caused by the tsunami itself, right. which caused the damage of hundreds of uh, thousands of uh, population around the area. Mm -hmm. So you know, having said that, what that says is um, that should not be a deterrent to proceeding with the nuclear energy. Mm. Uh, after uh, Three Mile Island, uh, we expected uh, some setbacks. Yes, the uh, new constructions in the United States have uh, declined substantially, uh, but that's more uh, due to uh, the uh, conservation and the uh, reduced demand for electricity growth. After Chernobyl accident, uh, there has been uh, major setbacks in some European nations, but not uh, across the board. So I, my belief is that Fukushima events will be forgotten in time, mm -hmm. and uh, the mankind needs energy, and uh, nuclear is a key part of uh, energy mix. So the, even Japan, in Japan, the nuclear energy will come back eventually. Mm -hmm. uh, all of the 50 uh, reactors that were operating have been shut down since uh, Fukushima. Uh, however, this year they are restarting two reactors. So eventually in time, uh, they will come back. So right. we have to have a longer term view. Right, right. Yeah. Slightly more hope yeah. for the future. Yes. When you talk about the fast reactors mm -hmm. and the intrinsic value they have, over light water reactors. Uh, light water reactors continue to be predominant technology in today's commercial fleets. What do you view as the reasons behind this current state of affairs, and what do you view as the key factors preventing more widespread development of fast reactors? As a matter of fact, uh, we could have a commercial fleet based on fast reactors if uh, we took on the past in the early on, uh, going back to the uh, 60s. 
but having gone with the LIGO reactors, so we have a more than 100 reactors built uh, in the United States and more than 450 reactors around the world, it is very difficult for a new product to come into a marketplace. Uh, if you look at, for example, automobile, uh, I, I remember uh, in the United States, uh, uh, General Motors and uh, Ford, uh, Chrysler and so on, they dominated the auto market. And for the foreign imported cars were uh, very rare to see when I was growing up. <laughs> but now there's some more. Uh, but automobiles, uh, they come out with uh, new models every year. Uh, so the turnaround is a quick, so the market penetration is not that difficult. However, when you talk about the nuclear reactors, their lifetime is 60 years, and it's not going to turn over quickly. So any new reactor concept to be introduced into an uh, existing library reactor market is very difficult. It's not because of uh, uh, inferiority of uh, technology. Uh, it's not that issue. It's just uh, the threshold to enter the market is uh, very high. In addition, you have a licensing issue. Uh, to, in, uh, to have a licensing of a new reactor concept, it takes uh, more time. So there's a uh, break-in uh, cost for the first kind of engineering, first kind of licensing, first kind of uh, manufacturing infrastructure, all of those things uh, make it very difficult mm -hmm. for a new reactor technology to be introduced into the market. Mm -hmm. yeah. And kind of on this issue of the market, um, perhaps the most serious threat today to the U.S. nuclear industry is market competition from low-cost shale gas, particularly in deregulated electricity markets. Um, you mentioned the passive safety and waste management benefits of the IFR have been well advertised and well documented. How might the IFR also be able to address issues of the economics of nuclear power? I think in the long term, uh, the IFR economics uh, would be comparable to uh, a current fleet of uh, uh, library reactors. But as I mentioned, it has to uh, overcome the first kind of engineering cost, first kind of licensing cost, first kind of market introduction. Uh, if we go through uh, several of uh, series of uh, constructions, then at maturity you will have equivalent uh, economics. But how you break that initial uh, several reactors to reach that point you got to start from somewhere. So without uh, a government policy to introduce te te technology, uh, which is being done in Russia, China, uh, South Korea, uh, in France, and so on, unless uh, there are government uh, policy to introduce the advanced reactors, uh, purely to rely on uh, free market force, uh, it would be very difficult. Mm -hmm. uh, very difficult to achieve. Yeah. And yet, there have been other statements by prominent officials like Secretary Moniz who have said that the future is with the SMR. Is SMR and IFR uh, two incompatible uh, technology issues, or are they the same? Well, in, in terms of market uh, penetration, they're in the same uh, new reactor concepts. Mm -hmm. What distinguishes 
IFR from other SMRs is that um, IFR has two uh, features that's required for the longer term energy mm -hmm. source. One is uh, uh, full utilization of uh, renewable resources uh, where the current reactors use less than 1%. And that full utilization of uh, uh, uranium resources make uh, uh, energy, uh, even with uh, already mined uranium, you can s replace the entire fossil energy base for uh, uh, hundreds of years or thousand years. Mm -hmm. So that energy potential, that's unique with the uh, IFR. Second part is in the IFR we can solve uh, the current generation uh, spent fuel nuclear waste issue uh, by uh, removing the radiological toxicity, making it much shorter life, uh, shorter lived uh, uh, waste. And uh, that uh, burning the actinides in the reactor can be done on the fast spectrum. So those two issues, the long-term energy potential and the solving the waste disposal issue uh, those two issues are unique with the IFR, uh, where they are not uh, uh, available in other SMRs. Mm -hmm. And kind of let's going back a little bit to the perception of nuclear power. The environmental community has been opposed to nuclear power, but there have been an increasing number of environmentalists who have come out in support uh, more recently. Um, some prominent environmentalists have even championed the IFR in particular perhaps most famously in the movie Pandora's Promise. How important is this to uh, change perceptions and attitudes about nuclear power more broadly and the IFR specifically? Yes, uh, I saw uh, Pandora's Promise. I liked that uh, movie and I, I liked everyone featured in the movie. Mm -hmm. I encourage everyone to uh, look at the Pandora's Promise. Mm -hmm. And what it says is that um, uh, what the nuclear energy is in the first place. It is uh, safe and reliable, uh, no greenhouse gases, uh, clean energy source for the longer term. So uh, this grassroots uh, support indicates that uh, people will finally come to appreciate the uh, value of uh, uh, this clean energy source for the longer term future. So I'm optimistic that if it's not this year, next year, next decade, sooner or later, uh, the nuclear energy will supply the clean energy for uh, our future generations. Mm -hmm. And Dr. Chang, you currently lead collaborative, collaborative work between Argon and Cary on the development of the prototype generation for sodium-cooled fast reactor, or PGSFR. What is the approximate timeline for this project? And what do you see as the key milestones for PGSFR development? Uh, we at Argonne are collaborating on this PGSFR development, and we are very excited about the prospects. Uh, their key milestone is uh, they like to have a design approval, uh, which is equivalent to a construction permit by year 2020, and then construction completed by 2028. That's where the operations will start. Those are two key milestones. Mm -hmm. And Korea has kind of emerged as perhaps the world's foremost champion of IFR technology. What are the rationales for Korean development of this technology? And why is U.S.-Korea cooperation in this area so important? In Korea, they have uh, 
I lost the exact count. I think a 24 uh, operating reactors or 28, somewhere in that range. So they have a large number of uh, uh, current generation nuclear reactors in operation. Uh, they have, they are facing with the same uh, spent fuel storage uh, issue. They're going to run out of storage uh, space, and they have to worry about uh, what to do in the long-term uh, waste disposal. And uh, they look at pyroprocessing um, uh, as the most promising technology to reduce the long-term toxicity, which will make it easier to find the. Uh, uh, repository to place them. Korean Peninsula is a very small uh, with a, a lot of mountainous uh, areas so it's very difficult to find a disposal site. So that's the primary concern, uh, trying to make the disposal easier and and, and transmute uh, actinides in the fast reactor. Mm -hmm. So that's their uh, reason for uh, uh, pushing the PGSFR. Mm -hmm. And uh, before the pyroprocessing, they like to have a reactor that can use the products of the pyroprocessing. And uh, the U.S.-Korea cooperation is important in that uh, uh, this IFR technology is developed at Argonne in the United States. And, uh, and cooperation, uh, this is a cooperation for future generations. This is, uh, whether it's in the United States or in Korea, I think it's very important to uh, uh, have uh, the mankind uh, uh, receive the benefits uh, regardless of whether it's in the United States or in Korea. Um, recently, or over the last year, I would say, former IEA director Nobuo Tanaka has really championed the IFR as well, and he's come out in public on multiple occasions arguing perhaps the best way to prove the IFR is at Fukushima. I was wondering, in your opinion, what would be some of the challenges to achieving uh, trilateral cooperation between Korea, Japan, and the United States with setting up a test facility in Fukushima? I think it's, uh, it's an excellent idea uh, in that uh, even Japan, because of Fukushima, uh, trying to uh, resolve uh, the uh, what's left of a Fukushima accident. Uh, if you uh, focus on that, uh, it, it's a really major challenge. You need to have a vision uh, that there's a future for nuclear energy. And in that sense, uh, having a uh, trilateral uh, project uh, to show a new technology that can solve uh, the legacy problem that was left from Fukushima and showing the next generation advanced reactor uh, project. Uh, it will, it's an excellent idea and I think it's, it would be good to bring the nuclear back uh, uh, to Japan energy uh, situation. I mean, they cannot live without the nuclear energy very long. They need the nuclear energy. And do you think this would be possible through a government-led initiative, or would this have to be more of a private-public partnership so industry would also shoulder some of the burden? I think all of the above. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I, I think it, it requires both government-to-government uh, -government, uh, cooperation as well as uh, private sector-led uh, 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 understanding of uh, what is a feasible uh, and so on. So 
uh, it, it requires, uh, it's a really major challenge to make it happen. Uh, so it requires a cooperation at all levels. Mm -hmm. And recently, you know, there's been significant attention has been paid to other Gen 4 technologies, most notably the molten salt reactor. How would you assess the prospects of these other Gen 4 reactor concepts, particularly in relation to the IFR? Well, it, you know, with our energy uh, policy, mostly uh, private sector, free market uh, driven uh, uh, situation, in which case it's very difficult to uh, uh, introduce uh, a new uh, technology to marketplace. So what government can do is uh, promote uh, research on other uh, generation four reactor types. Uh, this is good for uh, uh, as a training basis for uh, upcoming students uh, as well as uh, uh, nuclear R&D organizations and so on. So I, I think it's good that the government is supporting uh, development of uh, alternative uh, different kinds of uh, generation for uh, technologies. Uh, but that's uh, uh, for the purpose of uh, doing research and training uh, young generation, it's one thing. Mm -hmm. But then how you bring them to the marketplace, uh, that requires uh, uh, a government uh, role. And uh, uh, when uh, it comes to that time, then you have to wait the, uh, what is the uh, goal of a such government uh, initiative. And as I mentioned earlier, the long-term energy potential and solving the waste problem, uh, those are the, uh, what makes the IFR a appropriate serious uh, deployment consideration than uh, other reactor types. Mm -hmm. And you've gone on record saying that in the near term, advanced light water reactors will still play an important role until a technological path forward is established for next generation reactors. Do you have a vision for how the transition from a predominantly light water reactor based fleet to one based on fast reactors will take place? That's, that's a good question. Uh, first of all, it's not going to happen uh, in the near term. It's going it, to take uh, 10 years, 20 years, 30 years. Uh, what's important is uh, we have to have a big picture in mind. In the 19th century, we used uh, uh, wood as a primary uh, source of energy. Coming to 20th century, we started uh, using carbon-based uh, fossil fuels, coal, oil, natural gas, in that order. Uh, by the 21st century, we're continuing those fossil energy. So we are talking about uh, more than centuries of uh, this energy source. Nuclear energy just started uh, uh, maybe 50, 60 years ago, and uh, it will become a major source uh, in the latter part of 21st century as well as 22nd century when we try to exploit other energy sources such as renewables, wind, solar, and so on, uh, we're going to face uh, uh, natural limitations of what the renewables energy can uh, provide. Mm -hmm. So uh, when, in the near term, we're exploiting all those renewable energies, but in the longer term, when we look at the 22nd centuries, uh, the nuclear will come back, will have to play a major role. So we have to have a big longer term, uh, longer term vision. Mm -hmm. uh, 
in terms of actual transition from uh, current generation like reactors to fast reactor based economy, uh, I think uh, we have to uh, start with the uh, pilot processing demonstration, which is a much lower cost uh, project, and uh, that may uh, provide the impetus to uh, do the reactor demonstration. Mm -hmm which then introduces first reactor, second reactor, and so on, uh, and which will lead to a gradual transition over time. And that transition will have to take place uh, uh, 20, 30, 40 years. It's mm -hmm. not gonna happen overnight. So kind of perhaps the most important ingredient to achieving this is actually vision. And kind of my last question then is, um, who do you view as kind of the last visionary to really propel nuclear power here in the United States? I, I, I don't think it's going to be uh, government leadership mm -hmm. nor private sector leadership, but I think it, it has to be public opinion. Uh, the public has to appreciate uh, what nuclear energy brings to our life and understand the, um, the need for it and we have to really look at the globally. Uh, uh, the energy is an uh, engine of prosperity and 80% uh, of world population is still in poverty. They don't have a benefit of uh, energy, uh, no electricity. So uh, we have to open our minds to uh, the uh, worldwide uh, global mankind and um, I don't think this will happen by uh, any single uh, entity championing it, but it, it has to, every, uh, the public has to understand uh, the energy situation and the global situation and the grassroots effort to build the understanding and uh, the direction that will be then reflected in the policy making and the uh, market decision making process. Well, thank you very much, Dr. Chang. Was there anything else you'd like to say before we wrap things up here today? Well, this was an honor for me to participate in the podcast, and uh, I appreciate for listening to our dialogue and uh, wish you all the best. Thank well, thank you. you. And just on a closing note, Dr. Chang, along with Dr. Charles E. Till, wrote a book called Plentiful Energy, The Story of the Integral Fast Reactor. I know you can find this on Amazon, so if you have a free moment, please do check this out. It is a very good book that details the long history and why we need the fast reactor. Thank you very much. Thank you.